Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Introducing Patio Shield Zone Mosquito Repellent from Thermacell. If you enjoy being outdoors but hate mosquitoes. Hate mosquitoes. No one hates them more than you. You will love Patio Shield. Patio Shield creates a 15-foot mosquito protection zone. It's lightweight, portable, and comes in three bold colors. Discover for yourself why Thermacell repellers are so highly rated and backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Thermacell Patio Shield, turn it on, mosquitoes gone. Use code CRIME to save 20% on Patio Shield at Thermacell.com. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Bye-bye. Philo is the simple, powerful app for watching TV. You get access to about 35 channels, things like HGTV, AMC, Nickelodeon, all the Discovery channels. You get live TV on demand and unlimited recording. It's all for just $16 a month, no contract. And there's really never been a better deal or an easier way to cut the cord. Start your free trial instantly with just your phone number, no credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash crime. That's go.com. P-H-I-L-O dot com slash crime. crime. Or text the word crime to 74456. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism, And this week, we'll also take a look at the latest Netflix documentary, Evil Genius, which follows the bizarre case of a man who claimed he was forced to rob a bank with a bomb locked around his neck. Also, we'll get an update in the ongoing appeal of Serials Adnan Syed, and one of us will, in fact, take a Miracle Whip challenge. Plus... We'll discuss the most recent episode of In the Dark. Joining me to get all of that done and even more, if you can believe it, is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and bad taste maker, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, that's not fair. You wrote that. <laughs> I was just reading it. <laughs> also, with way us... to pull the curtain back, Oz. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Uh, this week, I am also certified in alewives. I was going to ask you about that after seeing that uh, video on your social media feed. So you'll <laughs> have to fill us in in a second. Yes. But first, I want to introduce. Finally, the novelist behind the city trilogy and our very own book club commissioner, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Uh, good evening. Kevin, did you write that too? I did. I was going for <laughs> thanks, the alliteration. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You're the book club commodore. Yep. The book club commissar. Yep. Now you're the book club commissioner. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And you got any other 
sounding commanding word, book club captain. Mm. Kazar. I kind of liked the book club Baron last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think Baron had a nice sort of connotation. Uh-huh. Yeah. It did. Baron it did. Trump. Is it that did. what you're thinking yeah. of? Yes. Gonna, next Baron week you'll Ball. be the, the, <laughs> the book club barista. Oh, my God. Serving up hot brood Speaking book club. of Toby Ball and other people named Ball, yeah. did you see that Toby's parody account on Twitter? You mean Bobby, Bobby Tall? Tall <laughs> at Bobby Tall NH revealed that his name is actually Babias Tall. <laughs> After Toby revealed he's Tobias yes. Ball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, Bobby stands for Babias. My goodness. <laughs> that poor, poor man. I, I The commitment of the Bobby Tall NH Twitter account is just, yeah. it makes my day every day. I yeah. sometimes get fooled. Why? Because that little I goatee? look at the photo, <laughs> I read the name really fast. I'm kind of like, what is Toby smoking today? <laughs> The, the beard should be the tip off. It should head. be. I just um, I'm I'm just too busy. Toby. It is. And it's the, a very small right. photo. And you know the beard is an, an homage to Star Trek. You know that, right? Oh, is it? The yes. Evil Spock episode. Evil Spock. When Spock, the only difference between Spock and Evil Spock was that Evil Spock had the stupid goatee. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think it's a Star Trek reference. Mm, I like the devil. Yeah. I, far be it from me to reveal anything that I may or may not know about the Bobby Tall and H account. It's not me. I know that. I don't know if this person's a Star Trek fan know. or not. But maybe that person can uh, signal that to us the next few days. Lauren Bricks kind of vanished. Lauren Bricks did vanish. I don't think Lauren Bricks had the same cult appeal as Bobby Tall and H. Yeah. 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 So, um, Laura, what is an alewife? Can you just fill people in on that, please? It is not a wife that serves beer, because that apparently in some places of the world, people thought that's what it was. Alewives are, they're also known as river herring. They're a big deal in my little town. They're on the town seal. And in the springtime, they swim from the saltwater up the river to spawn. And they have arrived. This week, so thousands of them are swimming up the river. Um, so I was out tracking down the fish and game guys today, and I found them out at one of the fish ladders. For fun, they thought it would be fun to show me a. It's called a sea lamprey, mm-hmm. which is a oh. freaking it's an eel, scary, right? It's it's yeah. like looks like a prehistoric Those monster eel. It was so, and I was like, I like almost jumped off the fish ladder. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I was Wait, like, oh ladder? my god. You're going to have yeah, to explain like, so, to other people where the fish ladder is now. So um, the fish can't swim upstream over like a dam. And, and some areas around us still have dams. We just took the dam in our town down, but there's one further upriver. Um, so they have this little like thing on the side of the dam, this metal kind of ladder. Mm. It, it's like that goes up so like that the steps. fish can get. Yeah. And it's, it's fill, you know, it's kind of, but it's not like little steps. It's like long things. So they can kind of gradually hop along gotcha. and hop upstream to go to their fishy love shack. It's like that thing they used to have on American Ninja Warrior when they have the pole and they have to go uh-huh. up the... Yeah. It's like that. Uh-huh. Anybody who's never listened to our show before right now is like, what the fuck is going on <laughs> in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be about crime. I thought it was going to be... I'm on the show all the time and I'm wondering the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Like, what is up with these podunk people? I'm just going to remind everybody that... Um, most of our listeners uh, are from New York, Los Angeles, yep. San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, and Boston. Right. Maybe and they're charmed by, our, like, by exactly. our small town ways. <laughs> Maybe like, they learned something today. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't learned anything today. <laughs> I think Maybe. I think Laura kicked off this tradition when she had a series of episodes in which she was extolling the virtues of the white chocolate raspberry scones sold at the local <laughs> bakery yeah. that she had to get to early enough to get one. 
because a line of four people would line up every morning. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but some of the firefighters take two. Yeah, it's like it's like the Exeter, New Hampshire cronut is what it is. Mm-hmm. My God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I assume you're writing about the L wives for a local publication. We all look forward to seeing yes. your article. Will yes, you share I it am. on social media, please? I will. I always do. All right. All right. Well, um, we should probably get into our uh, first big topic this week. Kevin, can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. This past week marked 15 days since the Maryland Court of Special Appeals affirmed a lower court ruling granting serials of non-Sayed a new trial. That's how long the state had to decide whether to pursue the appeal further. Laura Bricker. What happened? So, I mean, I'm starting to feel like, is this ever going to end? Nope. <laughs> um, no, apparently not. So on Monday, the state filed a petition for a writ of cert with the Maryland Court of Appeals. So basically, they're asking the highest court to once again allow them to appeal their decision to grant Adnan a new trial. And at the heart of this, they're appealing the alibi issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you recall, the Court of Special Appeals found that Adnan's trial counsel, uh, Christina Gutierrez, was ineffective for failing to investigate the alibi witness, Asia McLean. Yep. So they have two areas where they're focusing on the alibi. The first is alibi by routine, essentially claiming that it did make sense not to contact Asia because her alibi would have conflicted with the alibi by routine defense, which was, well, we know after school every day he went to track practice and he went to the library before track practice. And the second is they're saying that the library alibi contradicted what Adnan told police and the defense. Right. So Justin Brown, Adnan's attorney, can also appeal. And he posted an update on his website this week. Uh, If he chooses to appeal, they would file a conditional cross-petition for writ of cert. And in that, they would tell the court that if if it reviews the state's issue, Adnan's team would also like it to review the cell tower issue, Mm -hmm. which was denied by the Court of Special Appeals on the grounds of waiver. They have 15 days to decide whether or not to file that. Oh, he After will. that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Once they have both petitions, the court would then reach a decision. But basically what this means is that we are now stuck in like more months of waiting to find out what the heck is actually going to happen with this case. Right. So it's ridiculous. Legal Siri has sounded in. Our favorite Colin Miller Legal Siri um, posted a great real short update on his blog today. Um, and he, he's saying there are two falsehoods at the center of the state's petition, and he thinks these are significant because he thinks um, there are not significant conditions in place for the state to win on appeal. With regard to the alibi by routine in Maryland, an alibi notice is just a discovery tool to let the state know that the alibi might be presented. That alibi notice is not seen by the jury, and it's not admissible. Right. So... In terms of what the the jury actually heard about the alibi, they heard the track coach who couldn't say whether or not Adnan was at track practice, but that usually, yes, he was. And then the three witnesses who said that, you know, Adnan, they're not sure if he was at the mosque that day, but yes, that regularly he did go during Ramadan, he was at the mosque every day. Um, And they didn't call any witnesses to say whether or not Adnan stayed at school before track practice. Right. So basically, the alibi routine thing wasn't actually a part of the trial strategy. So therefore, it could not have been part of Gutierrez's plan to not contact Asia for that reason. Yes, exactly. And then the second one on the alibi, um, the library alibi, 
so this is something that they've been arguing, you know, ongoing, but the state has not showed any anything factual to actually support their claim. But there are, you know, notes in the defense file, two notes, um, in which Adnan tells his defense team that Asia saw him at the library after school that day. Right. So I actually spoke to Rabia today. Uh, I taped an episode of Addendum with Undisclosed Team. And Rabia, I, I said, this wasn't a surprise, right? They filed a, she goes, no, 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 no. She said, the main reason it wasn't a yeah. surprise is because um, the court would likely decide on this issue in August. Mm-hmm. And if the state hadn't filed then the case would have been kicked back and they would have had to schedule a trial. And they have elections coming up in June. Ah, right. And her whole thing is that, like, Marilyn Mosby, Theory of Ignoraja, like, they don't want there to be a scheduled trial and this to be happening and making news, like the impending trial of Anand Syed, like, in this last phase. Do you get a sense of, like, how quickly they would schedule a trial? I thought it would be, like, a year out. Well, they would schedule it, though. It would be on the books. Right. Right. So, you know, she's just, like, delayed, you know, this isn't, you know, a great opportunity to delay it so they can get past the election before there's any more news. I think Justin Brown ready to go tomorrow. I think he would be, too. (laughs) And I'm just dying to hear what that bombshell is, so I wish they were going tomorrow. That's all I have to say. Yeah, there's (laughs) some bombshell. Some bombshell. So, Toby, Thero Vignaraja, who is on this uh, petition, this writ, um, he is the private attorney who used to be a prosecutor who's basically volunteering to prosecute this case. He's running for Baltimore City State's attorney, and it's clear he wants to continue working on this or have his name on it, even though he has an election in June. If you were the AG, would you keep this aspiring politician on this case and have him be doing these filings? Or would you maybe kick it to someone else? What do you think? You know, it's a tough one. You know, you do you wouldn't want the politics to affect it one way or the other. So, like, pulling him off it just because he's running for office seems a little harsh. I also, I just don't have enough of a sense about how does the whole Adnan thing play mm. in, in Baltimore. Right. Is it on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, given all the problems that Baltimore has mm-hmm. uh, with its police. Like it seems like, I, I, again, I don't know, right. but like I would, I would think that Freddie Gray would be a more compelling narrative for people in Baltimore than it, it non would be. Mm. So I, I don't know. I don't know how much that would play into things, you know, but being the cautious person that I am, I would probably take them off it just because I wouldn't want that to become an issue later. Right. I just think it's weird that they're allowing this volunteer prosecutor to, to work on this case. How can he be I, representing the state yeah. if he doesn't work there? Like, it's that weird. That doesn't make any sense to me. It makes no sense. And why is it all even allowed? Can you imagine like in New Hampshire, like the AG being like, around here that wouldn't Sure, go, other random no. lawyer who's yeah. also running for office, you can prosecute Maybe, this for us. No. I guess you can do it in Maryland, yeah. I guess but they're like just out straight right? down yeah. there in Baltimore. They need all the help they can get. But this seems, I mean, especially on this case, like yeah. throw in yeah. some drive-in cases or something. I yeah. mean, this seems like the and wrong And Toby's case. right. This isn't like some guy you don't know from Adam. He was a deputy U.S. attorney. You know, he is a prosecutor or was a prosecutor before he, he went into private practice. So. Right. It's still weird, but, though. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. all of a sudden. No, it's weird. But, but, but look, like. If you're the attorney general, you have to be like, nobody knew who the fuck this guy was like four mm. years ago. Yeah. And now it's like this big deal that I have to, for some reason, deal with. You know, if there's somebody who's just like, look, I'll take it off your hands. Like, that may not seem like such a bad thing, given if you're the attorney general of Maryland, just with Baltimore. Like, I don't know what the hell else is going on in that state, but- just with Baltimore, you think you've got your hands completely full. Right. So if somebody is going to be like, look, I'll take this 
this thing that, you know, in the grand scheme of your job is not that big a deal, but because of this podcast and, and, and all the attention it's gotten has like greater importance that you'd be like, yeah, like that would be awesome. Yeah. It's like getting that. Giuliani I'll, for your I'll take care of everything I mean, else. it makes national news. Every time there's <laughs> nice an update, Kevin. it makes national news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does. Every single time there's any kind of update. So, Kevin, the state does risk losing the ground at one uh, by filing yeah. this, right? Yeah, the, right. There is a risk to the state, and Legal Siri pointed this out a couple of weeks ago when we talked to him, that the state did win on a couple of points. It was a, mi- it was a split decision. Th- they did win on this issue about uh, the waiver, mm. about whether or not Adnan waived his right to argue some of the cell tower evidence and right, whatnot, and right. that's that's a standing precedent. So if they decide to throw all their uh, Scrabble tiles back in the bag and mm. go at it again, they risk losing that precedent, which they could have applied to their advantage in many other appeals right, right. and other cases. Right. So, you know, so they're going to spin the wheel. Yeah, they are going to spin the wheel. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True True crime crime update. update. (laughs) Another true crime uh, update related to the Adnan Syed case. HBO has announced it is coming out with a documentary called The Case Against Adnan Syed. It promises a four-part cinematic look at the 1999 murder and subsequent appeals. It also promises exclusive access to Adnan, whom, whom we haven't heard from since Serial ended in 2014, Fun fact, the four-hour documentary series is directed by Academy Award nominee Amy Berg. She's been working on it for three years. She's best known for her other crime documentaries, Deliver Us from Evil and West of Memphis, which we actually saw. And Rabia tweeted today that West of Memphis was the film she saw that made her think, I need to get a journalist to look at Adnan's case. And she ended up making contact with Sarah Koenig like the next day. Gotcha. So full circle, Uh Amy Berg is now doing this big... Uh, look at this case. So here's my question. Um, I've read a lot. A lot of articles came out today about what this is going to be. It's promising more than what we know. It's promising more non. It's promising more material than what's already out there. But are we being set up for disappointment? Is it just going to be one of those things that those of us who know a lot about the case, it might be more for people who won't listen to Serial, but for us it's well, going to be like... Yeah, we knew all this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's very challenging. It, it may be very thin to the rest of us. Look, you know, how how many tens of millions of people listen to Serial? I mean, it's probably more than 100 million, right? But for a lot of them, you know, that's that. They didn't go on to stay with the case uh, into undisclosed and uh, listening to us or whatever. And there are a lot of people who hear about it and they're interested in it. But it's like, Serial, that's 12 episodes. That's a big commitment. So so there's a big portion of the population that are not us. They don't know anything about it or they don't know anything beyond episode 12. HBO viewers who have HBO never even like, listened to a podcast. Right. So they're, they don't know anything about Lens Crafters uh, time cards and they don't know anything about cell towers and fact sheets and mm. things like that. And that'll be interesting to them. But I don't know. I don't know how much we haven't heard. Now, Rabia did tweet, keep going back to Rabia. She tweeted, you don't know what you don't know. Right. I can tell you, you might think you know everything because you, there's yeah. stuff that I even, there's stuff I don't know. Yeah. There's stuff I've heard like, you know, discussed where like it's in code, like I don't know what it is. It's like that big thing that I don't know. And I don't right. know if that's going to be in the documentary, if right. any of that stuff's going to be in there. Right. And they've always sort of hinted uh, the undisclosed team at there's some- No, there's a bombshell. There's a bombshell. Yeah. In fact, I don't, I, actually, I don't think a lot of people have heard that. Yeah, Colin talked about there it. There is a bombshell, and we don't know what the bombshell is. Colin has talked about the bombshell famously because John Cryer, 
every time he talks to Colin goes, what's the bombshell, Colin? Apparently, Colin Miller sometimes walks down the street and people like will yell that to him. At least at least that's what I've heard. It might not be true, but uh, that's attorney client privilege, (laughs) asshole. (laughs) No, I I, and I and Robbie did say on Twitter when we were tweeting about it recently that it's something that the prosecution kept from the defense. Mm. Like it's something that well, she said will just blow everybody's minds. Yeah. So we don't but, know. We yeah, don't know what but, it is. But your question, I think that we do run the risk of like what happening with the investigation discovery hour piece, that it's it's going to be informative to that portion of the population that knows nothing about the case. Now, one thing that, that alarms me about the press release, and I keep in mind it's just a press release, and yeah. I know that like the filmmaker doesn't write her own press release for uh-huh. her own film. But there was a line in it that says the series will underscore, quote, the instability of memory and conflicting eyewitnesses. Um <laughs> To me, that sounds a whole lot like what I've come to realize in retrospect is the false premise of Serial, that it's either Jay or Anon that we have to trust, mm-hmm. which is not what the case is really about. Uh, Laura, are you concerned that this is going to sort of take us back to square one and like frame it in a way that isn't about was the investigation good? How were the facts? Like, who are the witnesses? How were they like coerced to talk or not coerced to talk? I mean, do you worry when you hear a line like that, that it's just going to be more fuzzy storytelling? Uh, no, because I don't think... In this case, I don't think they can stray too much. I mean, because the details of how the case played out and and what's happened, you know, in the last three or four years, I think that that is such a big part of the story that that has to be in there. Um, maybe they're just going to expand that by going into some other avenues. Who knows if it's going to be, like you said, we know a lot about the case. There's probably some things we don't know. I always like to see the people, though, in person. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, and I think I said that on the last show that we watched like this. It's interesting to see people live as opposed to what you imagine them like in your head when you're listening to their voices. Right. I don't know. I'll watch it. You know, I think we'll all watch it and we'll see where it goes. But I think they have to include the J information. That's such a big part. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. He was a star witness. Yeah. So I I think they're going to, my guess, I mean, this is just my theory. It's like you have to stick to kind of the bones of what we already know and then maybe add in some other avenues that we really haven't fleshed out that much um, in the post-serial world. Yeah. And I really hope to hear more from Hayes' family. They've been very absent from a lot of the storytelling. And if they don't want to participate, that's up to them. But it would be interesting to get that perspective. And it's not something I think we've seen represented a whole lot. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? Food crime (laughs) update. Now, guys, this may seem off topic, but um, much like uh, Dre and Bo on Blackish, my marriage has been rocked to the core (laughs) in the last few weeks. I have serious reservations about my husband's taste and whether or not I made the right decision uh, in marrying him. Uh, He liked the habitat. He disliked caliphate. He defended the shaky forensics from in the dark <laughs> and was fact-checked by Miss Madeline yeah. Barron herself, who, by the way, sided with me 100% on that. Yeah, th- th- thanks for playing all the clips that proved me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you could have that in our marriage all the time. Um, but now, potentially the most egregious example of Kevin's dubious taste uh, Kevin offered to go to the grocery store this weekend, and I was very happy that he offered to do that. We needed mayonnaise, and instead he came home with a jar of Miracle Whip. <laughs> yeah. Toby's speechless. He doesn't even know what to say. Mayonnaise is disgusting as it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, how do you defend yourself in this uh, Miracle Whip crime? Okay, a mayonnaise wasn't on the shopping list. There was no shopping list. You just went to the okay, store. Okay, well, it wasn't going... <laughs> I, I didn't get Miracle Whip instead of mayonnaise. Okay. I was like, I've never had Miracle Whip. Mm. 
I've never tried it. Mm. I'm going to get it. Mm. I'm going to get one of the small jars. And of course, it was on the big jar was on sale for the same price as the small jar. And I'm like, I'm not stupid. So I got the big jar. What if I love it? What if I love it? Then I'm already. Why not get a whole lot of shit instead of just a little bit of shit? I I can throw out a little bit as much as I can throw out a whole lot. So, well, Kevin, I've never had it. Uh, we are about to change that okay. because down here in the studio, we have a little oh tiny God. half sandwich uh-huh. on which you have slathered. Did you slather or did you just put like a oh, tiny I got on both sides. Look at it. that side and that side. It's starting to seep in though. This is, wow. This is, we're really branching out. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So this is a compelling audio right try, here. Try the miracle. So it's, try kind of, it's kind of tangy. for the first time. Yep. All right. Ready? Give it a shot. All right. Oh, that's a big bite. <laughs> Is it hitting you? Is the tang hitting you? (laughs) Okay. I I don't know if he's dying or Um, if he's like really loving it. Well, he's not. He's not like grasping for his drink. He did just make a face as he swallowed. There's something wrong with the bread. Yeah. Is it the bread? It's probably the bread. You think it's the bread? You're blaming the bread. It's not the broke ass (laughs) fake mayonnaise you put on your Sammy. It's the bread. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little weird, right? Yeah. Here is the food crime that yeah. is Miracle Whip, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm it is marketed as an alternative to mayonnaise, and it comes in a jar that mm-hmm. looks like a mayonnaise jar mm-hmm. that looks very much like, like the label even looks like a mayonnaise label. The All the artwork is the same. Mm-hmm. It is not fucking mayonnaise. It is a different product. No. I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to need... Um, a larger sample size? Let me just get you a spoonful of it from upstairs. No, no. Yeah. Okay. No, probably... try, try it on ice cream. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to say I'm thumb sideways. Okay. Thumb sideways in Miracle Whip. All right. Okay. Well, you know what? If we got trapped in a post-apocalyptic world like The Handmaid's Tale, you'd be begging for some Miracle Whip. That's right. I think. Yeah. You would That's be. What I think. I don't think I really because learned Because it would still be world. good because it would last forever. <laughs> you didn't learn anything today? I didn't learn anything today. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, I, I really want to get into a serious bit of content right now. Because uh, we are loving the podcast in the dark, as we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And a new episode dropped this week. And I really wanted to talk about it because I really just want to hear Laura's reaction to it. Let's be real. <laughs> okay. That's kind of what it's about. But also, I, I also want to talk about kind of what we learned. Because this case is fascinating. I'm really interested in the fact that Madeline Barron and her team moved to Mississippi for a year but this week on In the Dark, we kind of get the theme, you know, it's about the witnesses in the case. I mean, that's kind of the, the piece of the case that the she tries to unpack, yeah. the jailhouse confession witnesses. Snitches. But she kind of talks a lot about prosecutorial responsibility. And a, a big theme that uh, prosecutors have the responsibility to pursue the truth, represent the state. And that includes to, to not knowingly use witnesses who are lying and to disclose any compensation given to the witnesses that you bring forth who are testifying on the state's behalf. Toby, do you think from what we've heard so far in this case that the prosecutor seems to be upholding those responsibilities of a prosecutor, uh, not knowingly using lying witnesses and disclosing offered compensation to those witnesses? Is that a rhetorical question? No, I want to know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. He's... Totally. I want to leave the like insane outrage to Lara, but Mm. it is, you know, I I do think like the fact that he's using witnesses who are clearly lying Mm -hmm. and he's seeking the death penalty Mm -hmm. and he's seeking the death penalty again and again and again. The fact that he's not like criminally liable for something Mm -hmm. 
is kind of beyond my comprehension. Right, right. In the Thin Blue Line, have you seen that movie? Not for a yeah, very yeah, long but, time, but yes. But, but there, there's, I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time too, but there's a scene that, that's always kind of stuck with me where the guy who's, who's falsely convicted is talking about, you know, sitting at the, def- at the defense bench. He says, when you look over at that prosecutor and you're in a death penalty case, he's like, that, that's not a lawyer. That's a person who's trying to kill you. Right. And the idea that that's a situation, and then this guy is using lies, bad forensics. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's 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 trying to kill this guy, right. who he must know that there's a considerable amount of doubt about whether he's guilty. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Kevin, let's just give Laura a minute to, to ramp herself up. I want to okay. ask you about something. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this week's episode of In the Dark, we hear about the informants responsible for Curtis Flowers' conviction including two jailhouse informants, one of which passed away, and uh, she travels to talk to the other one, Frederick Veal, who tells us about how his being an informant came about, uh, that he was basically approached, but he basically said to the sheriff, like, get me out of here, and the sheriff's like, I'll get you out of here if you do this thing for me. And Madeline, I think, did a masterful job of setting up the scene with what the jail cell looked like, like eight men in a cell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone, you know, if you turn a page in a book, everyone can see you do it. And that, you know, he was supposed to elicit this secret conversation that only the two of them could have had. And the detail that it was over a game of dominoes at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> super interesting part of the story, because what is the thing about dominoes that like you wouldn't do at four o'clock in the morning? Is that like that is not a quiet game, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, what did you think of this uh, story that he told her about just being told to do it and doing it because he wanted to get out of jail? Was it credible to you? I, I thought that as a character, he was really interesting. And I, it's one of the things I like about all of the people that he talked to it reminds me in a way of West Cork, where just everybody that uh, you hear has a really colorful way of talking that's authentic to their region and situation, and it just makes them all come alive. You know, what I, I took away from this was really the corrupting influence of a reward. Right. Uh, and we, we heard that in the second episode when we were talking about the witnesses on the walking route. You know, being motivated, some of them, by the fact that there is or there might be a reward. And here you've got, you know, people who have said that uh, they lied. He went car shopping. He went car shopping. He's expecting to get $15,000. He wanted to be a thug. <laughs> yeah, he was going to go shopping to I get just, his... Yeah, he's going to get I everything. Mean, who would lie about that? Who would, like, tell... I mean, who would tell Madeline Barron that if it wasn't true, right? It's embarrassing. Yeah, I tend to think, yeah, <laughs> people tell stories about that makes them make them look really good right. I think there's some bullshit in it yeah if they tell stories that make them look themselves look bad I tend to feel like they're probably being more truthful right um, so anyway I the, the takeaway for me was uh, yeah that uh, the corrupting effects of of offering somebody money to say something or the corrupting effects of telling somebody to go in and get a fake story that you know is bullshit right. to try to get a win. Right. Laura, one detail that Frederick Veal provided to Madeline that when yes. I heard it, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be the thing that makes Laura like it's going to make her head blow off her body is yes. when he told her that when he was brought into the trial to testify with the other jailhouse informant, they were put in a hotel room together. Thoughts? Yeah, that was about maybe halfway through my walk when I was just like, wait, did I just hear that correctly? <laughs> no, you did. Wait a minute. You have wait. to stop listening to this in public. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was just like, wait a minute. They were in the same hotel room 
the prosecutor came to the hotel room to prep them for testimony. Right. Now, prepping them for testimony, that's not an unusual thing. I mean, that is something that does happen. But prepping them together yeah. is, I mean, ha- that is so wrong. Right. And then he said the two of them actually kind of compared how they both got there, like on their own when they're roomies hanging out in their hotel room together. And it's a nice hotel room. They got good eats or whatever he said. I'm like... Oh my God. Like, I just, I guess I just can't understand how when you hear things like this that clearly, with a little investigation, aren't secrets, how the hell did this happen? Like, how was this allowed? Like, I just, I don't even understand how this was allowed. And then I'm like, what's going on with the jurors down there? That they are believing these people who are so clearly lying. Right. It's so obvious that these people are full of shit. Pardon right. my, but I mean, it's it's so obvious. But that that literally that was the scene where I actually um, it, I, I stopped and took a selfie for Patrick Hines this week because as I was walking, it was like deja vu. I rounded the corner once again, ran into my minister, and I'm like, ah! like steam coming out my ears. I said, wait, stop, selfie for Patrick. Yeah, and then I kept walking. But that that one detail was just so against any norm of how witnesses should be relating to each other not even witnesses but jailhouse snitches like i was like oh it's like musical jailhouse informants right this one's not working stops, out let's get a new one yeah who's who's going to get the chair when the music stops this one oh, has this recanted one. And, and admitted and said he was lying and sent, an, sent a letter to the defense attorney saying he lied so let's just find a whole new one and get yeah. him to flip in the other direction which is astonishing yeah. Oh, and then we had the sister. Yep. Because the brother needed um, the bail money. And then he flipped on his sister. And, and isn't he the one that's now still in the running? He flipped as back. The, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he, back. He's the last witness. He double flipped. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, my favorite thing that happened in this episode, and I really applaud this team for leaving this in in its entirety, uh, was that Madeline Barron huh. called the sheriff of LaFleur County, Ricky Banks. This is one of the men Veal says sent him to literally sent him to Curtis Flower's cell to elicit this confession, this which they knew was bullshit just to help him get out of jail. Madeline um, calls this guy and basically tells him every detail of the story that Veal told her. What I love about this tape is, A, you hear how thorough she is and how open she is and how she's not challenging him she's just telling him what she was told and asking him what he thinks but i love and you can hear how unbelievably nervous she is making this phone call at least i can i felt like her voice went up like an octave yeah Yeah. sheriff banks hi sheriff banks um this is madeline Barron. i'm a reporter it's good to talk to you what you got going yeah so um i wanted to give you a call to see if i could uh, see what you could possibly remember about um, a man named Frederick Veal. Laura, have you ever made a call like that where you're like, I don't want to be making this call, but I you have to. You know what? I, I did. Um, and it was, and I remember I was a brand new reporter and I had a report leaked to me about an internal study of a police department. And it was all this horrible stuff that was happening. And we sat on it for a long time until the attorney had approved it. And so I think word had gotten back that we had a copy but when I had to call that police chief and make that phone call, I remember like that feeling like blood was like pumping in my ears. But I was like, I know I have to make this call. Yeah. And I called and I'm like, so we have this report. He goes, yeah, we know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I when I listened to that, I actually I, I was like, oh, I have been there. Madeline. Yeah. And I, I mean, I heard it in her voice, but you also hear in his voice. How yeah. he is so, I think he, it's what I heard, and you know, this is my interpretation, it's my opinion, 
I heard him start the phone call very confident. And like, I'm just going to do what I always do, which is say, yeah, I remember that guy. And then when she started asking him details, all of a sudden he didn't remember that guy anymore. It's like, you know, I know the guy. I remember the guy. But then she's like, but didn't it wasn't he the one who testified in the case? He's like, I'd have to look that up. And I'm like, oh, no, sir, that's not true. Like, it sounds like he's sort of backing up. And then he becomes like sort of aggressive toward her. Like, I don't have to be talking. He sort of turns it. He does the thing that people do when they're kind of on the defensive. Like, I don't need to spend my time talking to some reporter lady. Um, but Kevin, d- d- you heard that in her voice, too, that she did not. Oh, like, yeah. Want yeah. To no, I definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't it great that they left that in? Doesn't it add so much to like what you know about her as a journalist when you hear that? To me, it does. Yeah. Well, I, I also think she wanted to present the. The full conversation. The fu- yeah. You, you know, so that you could, you know, get. I mean, you could you wouldn't be. I think it, it was predicated on one particular moment, which was asking the question and then this really long pause right? where you can't, if you're just going to play clips of just him, you know, different sound bites, you don't get that unless you have the question and you don't, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you don't have that big dramatic pause. Uh, but yeah, her, yeah, her, uh, her throat was t- tied tight, a little yeah. tight. So yeah. And the thing, and the thing is like a lot of reporters, not a lot, but some well, reporters like a lot of cops are, aren't used to getting a call from a reporter challenging them. That's true. On. They're, He's still the sheriff. He's been the sheriff yeah. forever. I mean, but this is the thing. A lot of reporters who, who are, not a lot, but some reporters or hosts who are self-conscious and they just want to sound good all the time, mm-hmm. what they'll do is they'll just narrate what they said and then play the tape of him answering. And I love that they didn't do that. I love they left her in. So, Laura, you're going to keep listening to In the Dark, right? He's still in? I'm all over it. You know what? It's helping me meet my daily exercise goals um, with my little fitness tracker. So, yeah, I'm on. Toby, are you still in with In the Dark? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm in too. I'm all over this podcast. I love the way it's put together. I love the story. I'm fascinated by the case. And just this team is just, they're completely crushing it. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm completely in. I'm certainly seeing things that I hadn't seen before. Kind of like when you first use simple contacts for your <laughs> your eye care needs. Yes. And it's really a great time saver because with simple contacts, you can renew your prescription and reorder the brand of lenses from just about anywhere in minutes through an online self-guided vision test. I did it. Rebecca, now you did this. Now, just it's not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Right. It's your contact lens exam only. Right. So tell me how you were able to do this on your phone. Uh, I did it at work. <laughs> <laughs> I went into like, uh, only was like 10 feet. So I went into a room with like, like a break room, put my phone on the counter, walked backwards 10 feet, read the chart. Uh, it checked my eyes for redness, like, you know, general eye health. It's exactly the same thing to do with an eye doctor mm-hmm. when you're having your contact lens part of your exam. And then it was basically verifying that the contacts I have are the right prescription and that they're not bothering my eyes. And then once they verified that, it got sent off. A doctor reviewed it there. Somebody reviewed it there, sent it back to me. And they were like, okay, you can order your contacts now. And the very specific kind of contacts I, I get with the multifocal lenses and all that stuff, they had them. I Competitively priced? Cheaper, way cheaper than how I buy them at my eye doctor. I love this app. Loved it. All right. Now, best of all, our listeners will get 30% off their first Simple Contacts order. Buy a year's worth. You just go to simplecontacts.com slash CWO. CWO. And enter the code CWO at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash CWO. Or 
Just enter code CWO at checkout for $30 off your contact. It's a, it's a really, really good app. It's fantastic. Moving on. The latest documentary to come out of the Netflix true crime factory is Evil Genius. This four-part series looks at the 2003 holdup of an eerie Pennsylvania bank by a pizza delivery man with a bomb strapped around his neck. Brian Wells told the cops he was forced to rob the bank as part of a complicated scavenger hunt, but the device detonated before they could learn more. We got him out of the car and cuffed him. I started hearing a beat. His eyes just got real wide. A potential hostage sent into the bank with an explosive around their neck. Something like this had never happened before in the history of the FBI. Enter a menagerie of odd people who may have been pulling the pizza guy's strings. As our friend Stefan would have said on Saturday Night Live, this documentary has everything. Frozen bodies, hookers, real estate, explicit explosion footage, eyebrow shaving, close-ups of audio cassettes, and fishing buddies. All in an attempt to learn who was behind one of the strangest crimes in recent memory. We will be discussing plot points in our discussion of Evil Genius. So if you want to jump ahead to our spoiler-free thumbs-up or thumbs-down review, the time code for that is in the show notes. So let's start where the show starts. It's a very strange crime. Guy walks into a bank uh, wearing a bomb around his neck. Then this uh, face-off with police, and I think one of the more controversial moments in the documentary, the filmmakers actually show the bomb going off. After not showing it, and you think they're not going to, they then show it. Toby, what do you think of the decision they made to actually show uh, this man's death in the film? It's certainly jarring, you know, and if, and if the point is kind of to drive home... I, I mean, I think this comes up again later. I think the justification is this is the reality, mm-hmm. right? It's like we're not going to skip past like the brutality of this crime just to make it easier for you to watch. Mm-hmm. What, what's weird about it, and I when I was on The Blotter Presents, I kind of compared it to when you first see the, the Zapruder film yep. of the Kennedy assassination, which is much, much more graphic than the one you're used to seeing. It's just, it's it's like a shocking, just like brief, like fraction of a second, but it's, it, you're not ready for it. it. It's certainly not something that you would expect. I mean, the way he died was horrible. And then what happens to his corpse afterwards mm. is also horrible. And I think. You mean the decapitation on the street of his corpse? They didn't do that yeah. on the street. No, they did it. They no, did it they hours took his later. Clothes off on the street, which I thought was yeah. disturbing. So I guess for that, I think this will come up again. It's like you know, is that is is that the point? And if that's the point, does it make its point? Hmm. I don't know. It's a close thing. Hmm. I think I, I guess what I took from it because I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they showed this. And then I can't believe we continue to see this poor guy's dead body in clips. And then we saw his body like stripped down. On, I don't know why he was stripped down in clips. But I was just thinking, my God, can you imagine being a TV reporter or whatever reporter out there covering this and you're live or you're, you're filming and all of a sudden this guy just explodes? Yeah. I mean, holy shit. It's just amazing yeah. that they were all there when this happened. Just the brutality of the whole way that he died contrasted with the way that the police were still kind of treating him like a suspect at yeah. that point. Yeah. Even though he was trying to explain what was happening, I just that part was upsetting to watch. I just felt so badly for this guy who clearly 
was not involved in this to the level that they tried to portray later in the documentary. And then to watch him basically begging them, hey, hurry up, come on, hurry up. And then he just blows up was like, it was pretty shocking. So it it made its point. um, But I definitely felt like throughout this entire documentary, I was was a little taken aback by the level of access that the filmmaker had to the footage of, you know, not only this guy dead, but the guy in the freezer. Right, right. There was a lot of uh, graphic material. And while I agree with the principle of it, I am a person who doesn't think we should sanitize violence when it's actually being shown for a reason. You know, for instance, the aftermath of a bombing in Syria, for instance, or uh, I think the Zapruder film is important because it's actually what happened to the president of the United States. It's historically important. And it's also it's beyond the level of a shooting or a murder. And I think a lot of the footage of cops shooting black people who are unarmed is important for us to actually see. I'm on the fence with this one because we know what happened. I think the the footage where it's blurred out is really effective. Just the, the suddenness with which the bomb goes off. I'm not sure we need to see it again like 10 seconds mm-hmm. later. But that's I think I think the fact that we're talking about it means it was an interesting enough choice that it's worthy of discussion. All right. So after this episode where they sort of go over the crime and you have these like the FBI guy, by the way, can we just talk about how out of central casting that guy is with his giant square head? <laughs> he looks like a cartoon FBI guy, does he not? He's like Wyrick's brother. Yes, he does. <laughs> He does. Anyway, after episode one, uh, we are thrown in immediately to this very strange story of Marjorie Deal Armstrong, Bill Rothstein, uh, a cast of motley characters who all live like hoarders and might be behind the crime. It's a turn. It's a big turn. Now, Toby, what did you think of this turn? And what's the question that the documentarians are asking? Is it what happened? Who made it happen? Or is it a character study of just these very, very odd people what do you think toby so i think i think it's the last at least for me what i thought was interesting was this sort of group portrait you know focusing largely on marjorie i I think the first two episodes are are much stronger than the second two episodes Mm -hmm. i agree um to me they were kind of told in reverse order a little bit and i think part of it was you know the hook really is the whole bank thing and the bomb around the neck is so strange that that's like a hook that will that will bring you in, but it, it sort of is in the opposite chronologically. In, in that way, it doesn't quite as make as much sense. But I get why they did it. So I I think like there's it's not like really a who done it. Like there's mm. no other suspect right that you ever have. It's like these people did it or. Unless the thing is really going to be about how these guys were totally railroaded, mm. but that doesn't seem like the way it's going from the beginning. So no, it's not. I mean, the guy's got a body in his freezer. It's got to be one of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's not being set up with the body in his freezer yeah. that he admits is there. That and the, and he, the question is, who's the mastermind? Isn't that what we're trying? Is to that? But yeah. Do you think that's a compelling question? Does it matter who the mastermind is when it's clearly these people? Well, I think yeah. Well, I mean, since we already know, or we we feel like we know, it's this group. I think maybe that's like sort of narratively like sort of the only question that you can ask. Right. Who who's, who put this in motion? Everybody's pointing fingers at each other. It kind of reminds me of what we keep seeing now, like unfolding still in the news about the Las Vegas shooter. Uh-huh. And like all the news reports now, like they're showing all of the footage of everything that happened and in the hotel room and the police raiding the hotel room. And they're like, and the, but the real question they want to know is why? You know, I, I don't necessarily know that learning why will prevent 
the next one of those at this point. But why point. can be really interesting? It can be, but are we ever going to get like the light, the backstory about the why, or is it just going to be like he was mad about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And this, I, I'm not, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't love the question at the center of this. Um, and a big part of that yeah. is because I don't love the guy asking the question. I don't really understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This this documentarian, this reporter we see who's like barely named in the thing. We hear his voice occasionally and he refers to himself in the first person. And I keep like turning to him and being like, he keeps saying I. And I'm like, who are you? Like <laughs> uh, Trey Borzillieri. Um, he uh, says he finds himself in between projects. He leaves his Brooklyn life to head to Erie in search of answers in this case because he's fascinated by it. He ends up in this very long correspondence with Marjorie. She sends him hundreds of letters. He hooks her up with that that attorney with that crazy meeting. Laura, do you find that like he might not be like the best guide for this because like what he's looking for isn't what you would be looking for? I mean, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, I feel like if he was going to be the guide for this, he needs to be a bit more of a compelling character who's more engaged in the narrative than mm. he is. Yeah, you know, if he's going to be, I mean, he just was kind of like, yeah, he's got these boxes of letters, and then she's yelling at him on the phone, and they have this relationship. But I'm like, I didn't really pay too much attention to him because I didn't feel like he was I don't was that, he wasn't that interesting so I'm like if that's the case then I think maybe you need to adjust your narrative a little bit to maybe answer some of the deeper questions here like I want to know more about the people who examined Marjorie mm. I want to know more about you know the four times that she was committed and right. released right and why right like those are things I would rather know than like Oh, here's another picture of this guy with his Apple, giant Apple monitor, <laughs> um, you know, reading some more angry letters from Marjorie. Right. Um, you know, so there was, I think there was opportunities to expand the story. Cause like you said, who's the mastermind? I think, you know, I still am not really totally sure, even though I am, because it's just like all the people that were involved in this were a little bit unhinged. Right. So, you know, and this guy, like, I didn't really feel invested in why he was involved mm. or, or understand why he was involved other than he was like, oh, this looks like an interesting case. I was watching that, Kevin, and there's a lot of promise there. And it reminded me a lot of you. And if anyone is interested in the story of Kevin's long correspondence with a female serial killer named Sheila Labar. Looks kind of like They can listen Marjorie, to right? episode 11 of the podcast Criminal mm-hmm. uh, in which it's called Dear Sheila in which you talk about the lot, the difficulties that came to your life as the result of this long correspondence you had with this crazy serial yeah, killer. Yeah, right. They didn't really explore that. He was just sort of like there. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things and I, th- I think the three of you guys just hit it right on the head about sort of why this really promising series falls flat is because at some point the narrative has to get turned over to Trey Mm -hmm. and he's just not charismatic and you know I don't really even know like how good of a documentarian he is Mm. yeah she says like she's not going to talk to him unless he pays her or gets her a lawyer I mean that's like a non-starter for right and then we see like her doing a a video conference with a lawyer while he's recording that I'm, I'm like is this an is this actually a, a session with a lawyer. I mean, there's a lawyer in the room, but I mean, yeah. is this 
I mean, is this the spirit of She's the- dead. So that's why they could use that. Oh, that's why the other attorney could talk. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. But but also, but I mean, like for the the correction system that gives it, they give her the privacy and the the the, the, the you know a, a confidential place to do this. And they say, okay, well, this is all arranged because you're talking with your lawyer. It's like, well, no, it's actually it's a lawyer in the room, but we're really doing an interview. You know, I just you're not supposed to to like, become. You're not supposed to be an actor in the story. But I will say that footage of her, I think, was part of the most compelling part of the documentary because you really got a sense of who she was in these rants that she was having at this attorney. Like you, So even though I didn't necessarily, like you said, I didn't agree with how they set it up, the actual video clips of her, I was like, this lady is just in another place. Yeah. I felt so bad for that lawyer. In that meeting, and I and I got to be honest, like you know, a lawyer is either getting paid to be there or they want to be there. Like that's the situation, right? So like he he thinks there's something there's some reason he's sitting in the room. Either someone's paying him or he's interested in the case. His face, like every time she would say anything, (laughs) he's sitting there in that beautiful suit and that pink tie, and he's asking totally reasonable questions, like tell me about the death of your first boyfriend. And I think he's expecting her to say, like, well, that was mischaracterized. She's like, no, I killed him. (laughs) (laughs) He's just sitting there and he's like, what have I done? Let's talk about one one clip of video (laughs) is that Trey uh, inserts himself in the story when he he says that he was like working in New York and he had to have answers. And he drove to Erie, sat out in front of Bill's house and they showed the video. And I'm like. Did he shoot this on a home camcorder? <laughs> he shot it on an iPhone 4. Yeah. But no, I mean, it would look better if it was. I was like, what gear did, is this quote-unquote documentarian bringing to do this story? It reminded me a bit of, what, what's the nut who does the uh, the Maura Murray thing? James Renner? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, whoa, okay. With his YouTube videos? I don't watch his YouTube. I just remember he just. I mean, this kind of reminds me. So, yeah, he was the wrong guy. You know, maybe the way to salvage it would have been if there was another narrator and they made him like a uh, a witness or a yep a, someone to, like an interviewer, yep. interviewee. You know, yep. I don't know. So let's just talk about characters because um, if we're just going to be real, like there's a lot of unexplored, interesting stuff here. We're just told things and we see them, but then. We never get the real why, very surface. Bill Rothstein is a genius, uh, one of these people. Everybody, by the way, should just say, everyone lives in a hoarder house, so it becomes unextraordinary yeah. after the, th- the third one we see. Oh, it's amazing. Everyone looks terrible for their age. <laughs> well, they're all mentally ill. <laughs> and they ill. all go fishing. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes, they are all mentally ill, and that is they're, true. They're all seriously mentally ill. It's all over them. And it's sort of like less explored than it should be, because at one point, that guy who's at Ken, the, the third, the fishing buddy guy, yeah. Yeah. when they're like, he's 49, and I'm like, what? What yeah. do you I feel mean? bad for laughing now, but yeah. It, like what, how, I mean, these people, their, their lives are, they wear their mental illness on the outside. Even the pizza driver. In a way yeah. that yeah. is that is like, devastating and sad. He liked his cats. He did. Sure. He did. He did. So you so have this guy Bill, him. who's a genius. You have Marjorie, who has her real battles with mental illness. You have Kenny, who is forty nine, going a on one hundred and fifty, and a rapist. Yes. What we don't the prostitute. Get, oh, yeah, well, the prostitute, who's like my favorite character in the whole thing, who's friends with the pizza guy. Yeah. Yeah. Should they have a really nice friends. arrangement? Toby, what I feel like is the lost opportunity. The second, the third, and fourth episodes could have explored was like. 
the setup we get, Bill Rothstein is a genius. Marjorie used to be this beautiful, promising, smart person. Like, how do they get from where from that to where they end up? Like, how do they get there? I feel like that's just missing. Do you feel like that was told enough? Or do you feel like that there could have been something more explored there with the mental illness part of the story? Because it's there. It's all over the place. They talk about the mental illness, but they never actually do anything to impart more understanding or help us make those connections. What do you think, Toby? Well, I think the one thing they don't do is show any compassion. Right. I mean, really, the reactions, like you, you guys talked about the, the thing with the lawyer and his, both lawyers who you see, their responses to people who are clearly mentally ill is to be kind of annoyed and disgusted. Mm. And it's like, look, you're you're a lawyer. If you don't want this client... Goes from the one the the one lawyer who just talks for like a minute and he's just like, uh, she was like the biggest pain in the ass ever. You know, you do this and then she do this. It's like, yeah, I mean, she's she's mentally ill. Like that's what happens. So you know, if you want to cut bait, that's fine. But then you know, don't complain that a mentally ill person is acting like they're mentally ill. Right. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think that to me, the mist. Like if I was making this thing, I would have had about. One, like, I, I like the cops, like the the two, Wyrick's brother and then the guy he hangs out with. So did I. I thought they were appealing guys. Um, I think they were very honest about the way the the investigation went and some of the shortcomings and what they could have done better and what what people were expecting of them that they couldn't do. So it's, it's not really a dig at them. But to me, the story is these people, a couple of whom probably needed to be institutionalized, really living on the margins and what their lives are like. And I think that's what you're getting at. It's like, how did this whole thing come to be? There's not a whole lot of thinking about, like, what does it all mean that that they have the scavenger hunt, which they know he's not going to be able to do. And, like, he doesn't even get a chance to do any of. But it's there. It's like... You know, what's that all about? See, to me, those were the unexplored, more interesting questions. Like, how did Rothstein get his bomb-making skills? Where did that come from? Or who? We don't really know if he right. made the bomb. Uh, how, what was the scavenger hunt thing about? Why did the cops think that Wells was involved at all? Like, that was weird to me. Like, why did they go down that road? You know, why is the state's theory that Marjorie... Or the theory that Marjorie wanted to do the bank robbery so she could pay a hitman to kill her dad so she could get the money. Why wouldn't she just, like, put the bomb on her dad and blow him up? Like, why did they have to go to this <laughs> elaborate thing? I mean, it, Or just keep the money from the bank. And keep the money from the bank and then you wouldn't need to kill the dad, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the problem is that he's so fixated on the... The culpability of who was the mastermind. At some point, like, does it fucking matter who the mastermind is? Doesn't it seem like all these people are just sitting around eating pizza and not taking their meds and cooking up these crazy plants? Does it matter who did it? Uh, and this and this sort of focus on and Steph Spratt on our Facebook page asked a really good question. She said, um, "Do you feel they portrayed Marjorie as more culpable than Bill? Is this because he died first and the communication was with Marjorie, or is this because as a woman it's seen as more shocking?" for her to be the mastermind or involved in the crime? Like I said, it's a better story, I guess, is what Steph is saying. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, that's a really great question. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if... It, I guess it could be because we don't have the same kind of access to Bill because he's passed, but I think it's because Tr- Trey's correspondence had always been with Marjorie and not with Bill. And she killed three other people. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah, she actually... I mean, there's this history yeah. that yeah. she's done it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess. So. And it wasn't an it owl. Not, it, yeah, it's probably. <laughs> no one's claiming it was an owl. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's it's probably not unfair to focus on her. I do think, though, it is a missed opportunity to not focus on her from a more empathetic lens, or just mm-hmm. to find out the stuff between she and her dad is an unexplored avenue. We talk to him. The documentarians talk to him. He says he rejected her. And here we have this woman who went from being, you know, a smart, beautiful, accomplished young woman to the woman that we meet who's very, very ill and hasn't bathed in weeks when she gets picked up by the cops. And we know there's been this fracture and it's an unexplored avenue. Like the what happened. I don't know. To me, there's a lot of opportunities that do sort of have a sexist kind of um, maybe obviously unwitting, but definitely that lens of like, this is a more interesting story with this woman than I think that that we're getting. Uh, Laura, quick question for you. Yes. I know you had questions about Bill's attire. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I loved the footage um, that we had of Bill when he was um, in his overalls in um, giving the police the whole story. I was curious, what was he carrying in those overalls? Yeah. He had a lot of things tucked in the front. <laughs> a lot of pockets. And these were things that were consuming me, like what's in the pockets? What's in there? Does he have some more little plans? Does he have notes, um, pens, pencils? I, I don't know. So I, I was curious. Was anyone else curious? I was curious. He, he, he sort of, to me, he was so bright. And yeah. they talked about him being the best man at that guy's wedding. And they showed all these old photos of him. He sort of had a John McLemore-ish kind of like. Yeah. Like, that's who he reminded me of. He was sort of this gothic character, this, like, smart guy who just obviously had a lot of problems, but, like, a genius with his hands, like, all the stuff he made, and, like, called the cops proactively to tell them that there was a body in his freezer, which was... Yeah, if he hadn't done that... The meat grinder tipped him over the edge, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And now we know that in order to thaw out a solid, frozen solid human body, it's just like thawing a turkey. Before yeah. you cook it for uh, Thanksgiving. The people at that morgue yeah. are like, you will not believe the month we had. Yes. Well, there's a lot going on here. I mean, it's four episodes. We all watch them all. I, I think we should just let our audience know whether or not they should check out Evil Genius on Netflix. Thumbs up or thumbs down review. Um, I'm not sure this conversation was any less of a rabbit hole than the actual documentary. <laughs> it sort of lacked focus and structure which is a little bit like the documentary. <laughs> uh, Laura Bricker, so what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Evil Genius on Netflix? I'm going to say thumbs up because, uh, yeah, there's things I wish that he had gone into, but this case is so bizarre that you really can't mess up making a documentary of it too much because there's just so, like the, the case itself, which I really wasn't familiar with, was just such a compelling case with all the twists and turns that I think it was really interesting. The ending um, was great where we had access to a person involved in the case that we previously hadn't heard from. Um, There was a great little twist there at the end. So, you know, I think it's just such a bizarre case um, that this is worth watching. And yes, there's other things I would like to know about, but, um, you know, that's okay. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Evil Genius on Netflix? Uh, you know, when I was on The Blotter Presents, I gave it a thumbs up, uh, but I'd only watched the first two episodes, mm-hmm. which I think are are so much stronger than the last two. And I think the last two, for me, also kind of highlighted some of the issues that, you know, I'd maybe overlooked in the first two or that it had seemed like they were minor compared with sort of the overall sort of compelling nature of of the story and the people who are in it. So, I, you know, 
it's not a huge thumbs down. And part of it, I think, is I thought that it was going to be so good after the first two episodes and then just have the last two episodes be the way they were. So I'm, I'm going to give it sort of a, a, a moderate thumbs down. Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs down, too. And um, it kind of suffers from some of the same flaws, which I know I gave a thumbs up to Wild Wild Country, I believe. But this is made by the same uh, production company, the Dupless Brothers. But behind it, yeah. they're sort of the production company. But there's a style there. And the style to me is spinning a story uh, and doing character studies and stretching them into multi-episode arcs that don't need to be as long as they are. Uh, and I think it worked more in Wild Wild Country because there is a story there that is just so uh, otherworldly in a way. And Sheila is a different kind of character than Marjorie is, where you can watch her on the screen for several episodes in a row doing her Sheila thing. And you aren't sickened by the neglect that uh, the, the filmmakers are showing and that the society around her is showing to her condition like you are with Marjorie, who is clearly very ill. I do think this film went into the exploitative in a few times in a way that made me uncomfortable. And I also think ultimately it wasn't a satisfying story. I didn't get the story I wanted. I don't feel like I actually know what happened or who planned it or what the real story is. I don't feel like I know who the mastermind was, the evil genius. I don't even understand the title, frankly, except for the fact that she says it the one time. So, yeah, the first episode's really good, but I'm going to have to give this one a thumbs down. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm with uh, I'm with Toby and with you, Rebecca, on this, and I feel exactly like Toby. I thought that the first two episodes were really strong, but it really lost steam in the third episode and definitely the fourth episode. I, I would say to folks, if you're curious... Watch the first two episodes. Yep. You know, maybe you'll feel like going on. And I, I actually do think that the first two are great. But, you know, overall, I just I can't recommend it. I have to go. Uh, I have to go thumbs down on it. It's an interesting story, certainly an interesting crime. Um, but certainly I'll say that, you know, if your house looks an awful lot like Bill's house yep. or Marjorie's house. Yep. You totally need the services of Havenly. Oh, yes. I'm sure that would have solved all of the problems. Not, not all the problems, just one. <laughs> Havenly is the easiest and most affordable way to design a space in your home. The team of designers works with you online to design the living space of your dreams, be it a guest room, a family room, a kitchen, whatever it is, just using your budget and your style to shape the design you want at a price you can afford. You don't have to rob a bank in order to afford Haven. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Call back. Once you uh, pick out a design, the folks at Havenly on the platform, they can help you pick out a few things to go in the space. If you think maybe you want a lamp or you want a piece of furniture, they can show you some stuff with uh, some great prices because everyone deserves a beautiful living space. Everyone does. So turn your Pinterest board into reality. Try Havenly today by visiting havenly.com slash crime and get 25% off of your design package. And we did this, kind of looked at the, the dining room. We asked the folks from Havenly. They gave us some really great ideas. So again, that's Havenly, H-A-V-E-N-L-Y, havenly.com slash crime, crime for 25% off your design package, havenly.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? You know what I got? A Moscow mule. Oh, I got some Miracle Whip. Is that whip? Miracle whip. 
Well, even if you've never heard of digital eye strain, chances are you've often experienced the effects. It's eye fatigue, dry eyes, migraines, things like that. Anger, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But when you protect your eyes with Felix Grey computer glasses, you can keep doing the things that you love to do and need to do because a lot of us at work are on computers most of the day. We choice. Yeah. That's it's part- literally my job. <laughs> exactly. My job is digital director. That's well, not paper. That's yeah, a computer. Exactly. Well, Felix, gray glasses are great for uh, using your computer. They're very stylish, as you know. They're specially designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens, which are the two main culprits behind digital eye strain. Um, we gave uh, Lily, our daughter, a pair of Felix Grays. She loves said, them. She loves them. You know, she's not in front of a computer all day at school, but she is there enough and she does wear them. A, she looks great in them. But she says it definitely helps not only with that big screen, but her little screen. She's always on the phone. Yes. Always on the phone. And, and she she's says, having a pair of stylish glasses to wear. She loves it. Yeah. Yeah, they really work. Everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Grays. No prescription necessary, and all orders ship free with free returns, so you've got nothing to lose. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Try a pair of Felix Gray glasses today. That's Felix Gray, Gray's G-R-A-Y. felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. And now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. But with a twist this week, we have a vintage crime of the week. The year 2013. (laughs) The place, Manchester, New Hampshire. Henry Gribbum visited a traveling carnival hoping to win a big prize, an Xbox Connect. All he had to do was toss some balls into the tubs of fun game. He did well in the practice round, but once money was on the line, the balls kept popping out. Gribbon went through $300 in a couple of minutes at the carnival game. He says he became obsessed with winning his money back. So he went home and got his life savings and played some more. Oh, God, no. $2,600 later, the only thing Gribben had was a hole in his pocket and a stuffed banana with dreadlocks. (laughs) Gribben filed a report with the police, but they weren't able to determine whether fraud was involved or whether he just really sucked at the tubs of fun. There was a happy ending to the story. The website collegehumor.com offered to refund Gribben's life savings by buying the stuffed Rasta banana for the price of $2,600 and one Xbox Connect. Gribbum said he'd use the money to set up a college fund for his kids, which is probably what he should have done anyway in the first place. <laughs> so, panel, here's my question for you. We are entering summer. It is carnival season. Uh, and this is certainly not the way a grown man should lose his fortune. But at the same time, I don't know about you guys. For me, it's like a little bit relatable. So I'm curious, Laura Bricker, what childish way could you potentially lose your life savings? I don't know if it's childish. I actually asked my husband tonight and he just said cats or shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those. And poor Henry, I have to tell you, I looked up Henry today. The year after his big win, when he got his money back, Mm -hmm. um, he was arrested (laughs) for throwing a beer bottle at a man and spraying him with pepper spray. Poor oh, Henry. Yeah. So things things went awry. So he should have stuck with the big banana, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Toby? In what childish way could you potentially lose your life savings? Uh, beanie Babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kevin, um, I found this very relatable, yeah. of course, because as you know, um, I do have a little bit of a skee-ball problem. Yes. And a little bit of a blackjack problem. Yes. But you and I both know 
that if there were a skill crane in front of yeah. me, I could be no lose house. the house. There'd be no house. I, I had the misfortune of once winning twice in a row on a skill crane, and now I'm convinced I could win it at any time, and it's a real problem. That yeah. and scratch tickets. It's my vice. I have a lot of vices, don't I? I just listed a bunch. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? In what childish way could you lose our life savings? Uh, probably be at the uh, at the carnival, and you know the the thing where you take the machine gun and you have to shoot the red star out of the the paper. Yes. No? Yeah, I could probably. I would be, I would get very close, but I could probably just keep throwing <laughs> fibers out there. We also really like to sit down at the game where you have to shoot water into the clown's mouth. Oh, I do love that. <laughs> or you have to roll the balls in and the racehorses go they move, Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I like the racehorse. I like the, the, the clown shooting water because if you want, you can turn and squirt the people exactly. next you to you. You don't win. But you end up walking away feeling good anyway. That's right, yeah. All right, Laura Bricker, before we sign off for the week, is there a cat of the week this week? There is, and I'm going to read you the submission. It's Katie from London. Hey, crime writers. Our cat is an adopted East End cat, and we named him Buddy after Buddy Cianci of Crime Town. He's an adorable black cat, but like many cats, he has a sadistic side. His name really fits. He's pretty well fed and definitely never goes hungry, but he's also very greedy and wants treats all the time. If we're working from home and ignoring his request, he'll leave us for a half an hour or so and return with some poor creature. He won't eat it, just play. It's usually still alive. While giving us the stink eye, as if to say, I don't need you, human. (laughs) Although sad, his behavior is not totally unusual for cats. However, his recent escapades are becoming a problem. He has deposited not one, but three pet goldfish on our floor. Each on separate occasions, and oddly, they're all increasing in size. There are no ponds or lakes or otherwise around that we can see as we live fairly central. For all we know, he could be breaking and entering into some poor, unsuspecting child's goldfish bowl. Oh, my God. Any suggestions for how we can stop his serial goldfish killing antics? Um, All the best. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Stop letting your cat go anywhere. I I guess. That's my suggestion. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Coming home with goldfish of unknown origin? And she sent a picture. She sent a picture, and it's it's a big one. And he's and then there's another picture where he looks all innocent. So he's definitely got it down. She has to put up a sign in her neighborhood like it's 11 p.m. Do you know where your goldfish are? Well, Laura Bricker, if people want to uh, send you a submission for their crime committing cat or dog or lizard or squirrel or other pet of the week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Joey Ball, if people want to reach out to you online and, I don't know, just get, really get a sense of whether or not you or Bobby Tall is the more erudite guy, like, how can they find you on Twitter? At Bobby Tall. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Flynn, uh, actually finishing that little Miracle Whip sandwich you made. How can people find on you online? I'm at Miracle Whip Flynn. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RebLavoie. You can tweet to the show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. It's changy. You can support us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media to hear Toby's exclusive book club podcast. And for other ad-free exclusive content, including our other show, Married with Podcast, you can also subscribe at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble. Page turn. 
This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, the closet in our basement that coincidentally also looks like it was on an episode of Hoarders. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Have a bite. Ugh. Hey, Kevin, I, have it. I would rather <laughs> die. Kevin, come on. <laughs> oh, can no. I, can I tell you my only market basket story? Sure. You only have one. <laughs> I was at the deli line, and I was the only person there. And there's just this, like, guy who's probably, like, 23 or 24. And I was like, can I get a half pound of, you know, cracked black pepper turkey? So he, like, cuts it. He goes over, and he puts it on the scale. And the scale says 0.69. <laughs> and I look at him and he looks at me. He's like, it's a little more than you wanted, but it's a real cool number. It's <laughs> 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 like throwing wow. a bag, son. I love it. Throwing a bag, I'm on my way. It's lightweight, portable, and comes in three bold colors. Everything about the description could also be describing a sex toy. Let's just be real. Partners in crime media. Don't be a victim of digital eye strain. Protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses. Their lenses are designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens, all without the telltale yellow tint of other computer glasses. Try a pair of Felix Grey glasses today at felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.